as far as like this level of compassion, service, excellence, networking, this is Manhattan. Like to do a startup fee-for-service practice in New York City, you really have to have, in my opinion, a following, a reputation, some core thing that you can rely on because it's a saturated market. You know, I think it's it's a little hard to understand the true sort of like ratio because so many people travel in for work, but in parts of Midtown, the ratio is one to 250. <laughs> Best case scenario is like one to 900 in some of the neighborhoods. Welcome to The Dental Marketer. This is your go-to podcast for diving deep into the world of business, marketing, self-development, and dentistry. From startup secrets to real talk with the pros, we've got it all. So whether you're just starting out or you're deep in years in running your own practice, join us for a mix of success stories, a few learning curves, and loads of insights from the brightest in the industry. We'll chat learn, and grow together one episode at a time. How do you kick off a cool dental practice in a crowded place like New York City? Well, in today's interview, we're hanging out with Dr. Arti Chagadar, the brain behind Flat Iron Dental. And she's opening up about her adventure in starting a dental practice that's all about going the extra mile for patients. Arti spills the beans on why she went for a patient-first, pay-up-front business model and how it's really paid off. And she's got some special tricks up her sleeve, like treating sleep apnea and offering airway advice that really make flat iron dental stand out in the busy New York scene. And we're also going to get into the weeds on what it takes to get a dental practice off the ground, from dealing with those endless lease talks to why having a lawyer by your side when you're signing contracts is a game changer. Arti even shares a story about a tricky trademark dispute over her practice's name, highlighting just how crucial it is to be tough, get good legal advice, and stick to your guns with honesty. And then to wrap things up, we'll talk about the importance of building relationships and the magic of word of mouth for bringing new folks through the door. Plus, how stepping up as a thought leader in the dental industry can really make your practice's name shine. What you'll learn in this episode is, number one, the importance of a unique service offering in a densely saturated market. Two, insights into the fee-for-service model in dentistry. Three, why never to sign a contract without a lawyer's approval. Four, how to handle unexpected challenges such as trademark disputes. Five, the power of word of mouth and relationships in building a patient base. And six, the potential for thought leadership to strengthen your brand. I'm excited for you to listen to the valuable insights from Dr. Arti Chagadar. Could your dental practice withstand the scrutiny of a HIPAA audit tomorrow? Or would it crumble under the pressure, risking patient trust and your hard-earned reputation? It's a daunting thought, but with Dark Horse Tech, it's one less worry on your plate. They specialize in transforming the maze of HIPAA compliance into a straightforward path, ensuring that every digital step your practice takes is secure, compliant, and completely stress-free. Imagine a world where you can focus solely on your patients, knowing that all the digital intricacies are managed with the highest standard of privacy in mind. They handle the heavy lifting of compliance so you can lift the spirits and health of those you treat, your patients. Claim your free month of service today 
and take the first step toward a future where HIPAA compliance is one less thing to worry about for good. Click the first link in the show notes below to check out the exclusive deal. How's it going? Great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for asking. If you can let our listeners know, where are you located? I'm in New York City. I'm in Manhattan. Nice. Okay. And the weather like that right now, or the weather right now, because Tuesday you were telling me you had a snow day. We did. And today is a bit of a sort of polar vortex situation. Um, I was out in my ankle length white down coat, which looks a little bit like I'm wearing a comforter with a belt around it, but I was very cozy. And I live on the block that the practice is on. So it felt a little absurd, like a bit of an overreaction to walk the 70 feet from my front door <laughs> to the practice. But I'm from the South and my family are from a fairly tropical place and I can't, I can't abide the cold. <laughs> yeah, no, interesting. And something you mentioned before we were recording, you, you let your team off, right? Like, like, hey, stay home. It's a snow day. How far do they live from the practice? They are in... Queens and Brooklyn, pretty far into Queens and Brooklyn, like kind of end of the line, one with a longer bus transfer. The snow was definitely worse out in the boroughs. We tend to run a little warmer in the city. I think between the rivers that are running on either side and all the asphalt that uh, soaks up the heat from the sun during the day, it Mm. didn't seem as bad here. So we had a snow day. I kind of made the call early in the morning. I didn't want them traveling if it seemed unsafe and still <laughs> had a couple patients on my schedule that I was able to see on my own. But that's what happens when you live in the Northeast sometimes. Yeah. Now, when you say on your own, like it was completely just you in the office? Just me in the office. Correct. <laughs> Interesting. So when you're working on a patient, phones ring, do the phones ring and all that other stuff or somebody else? I it, no, I mean, we have a voicemail. There's like an answering service and they get a, we can set it to send an automatic text back to them. So Right now, I mean, it's a low volume practice. Like as a fee-for-service office, we're not, it's not a whole bunch of calls and we set ourselves up to make it very convenient to do things online. Our patients text us, they email us, they can schedule online, they can reschedule online. So it's not a place where the phones are off the hook. Gotcha. Okay. So then tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? When you had said this was a question that you always ask, I thought about it and I would say that Where I am now and who I am now is most informed by my own upbringing as the child of immigrants, as the child of entrepreneurs themselves. When I was in college, I always said I wanted to be a doctor. Then in high school, I realized dentistry was it for me. But at some point, I just met people, learned about ideas, and really grew to love art. And so I spent two years after college building a fine art portfolio to apply to art school. And I came back to dentistry happily. I really enjoy taking care of myself. I enjoy having a small business. Obviously, having financial security is very nice. Um, but art is a kind of a way of life. So having had that past and that interest continues to inform everything I do today. Um, the other couple things that I think have been very formative are becoming a mother. My kids are five and seven. I grew up in a small business. I wanted my kids to grow up seeing what that was about, seeing what it meant to be at the helm of caring for people, of caring for your employees who depend on you for your livelihood or contributing to the well-being of a community. As dentists, we get to take care of people and sort of like, I want to raise the bar and what that can look like. And finally, most recently, I think the largest sort of formative experience was open heart surgery. I had 
like a full sternotomy, open heart surgery, following the discovery that I had a regurgitate my mitral valve. I'm completely fine now, but I had multiple complications. My vocal cord was paralyzed. I had multiple strokes that left to a little bit of blindness in my left eye. Having been a patient so thoroughly has made me a better doctor. I know, I really know what it looks like to care for people. One of the main things that came out of that is I used to feel, I pride myself on being incredibly compassionate, empathetic. I always have been, but it used to feel like something that would tire me out. And when I first started practicing, I would work six, seven days a week, paying off loans. I was saving for CE. I spent $30,000 on CE my first year out. I just was like gunning to be the best possible dentist I could be. And then I realized like, you know, you leave your 20s, you're entering your 30s. I'm in my 40s now. I didn't have that energy. And I would feel like at the end of the third day, starting my fourth day, I wasn't able to treat people with as much patience, as much compassion as I could take pride in. And I really worked to make those days that I was in the office the most sort of efficient, I guess. Like I still could make what I made in Mm -hmm. five days a week, working three days a week, becoming a more comprehensive treatment planner, things like that. But following open heart surgery, I felt as though instead of being a reservoir of compassion that I was like spending and needing to recharge from, I now feel as though I am an instrument for compassion, the sort of like love that's available to all of us sort of cosmically, which sounds Mm -hmm. a little woo-woo, but it doesn't take anything out of me to extend empathy, patience to people who are coming to me in fear and pain. That has been something that I can't exactly articulate properly of how that came about from open heart surgery, but I just, I don't tire of it. That's new. Interesting. How long ago was that? That was in 20. We're coming up on five years. March 12th will be five years. Okay. So that was 2020, 2020. Okay. Oh, so like a little bit, a year before the shutdown and everything. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that we had also talked about is what are things that have happened that you didn't plan or didn't go the way you wanted them to go. And um, I started the process of building my own practice in early 2020. I had engaged Rob Montgomery to create two legal entities, one for the practice, one for a nonprofit. I had been working with a real estate agent, um, Ray Grizzly, who just does like medical dental spaces. And we were narrowing down spaces. And then the pandemic happened. And I was kind of <laughs> like, you know, this seems like an uphill climb. In the silver lining, looking back on it, it might, at that time, my kids were one and a half and three. And so to be there for those ages, and now they're in elementary school and they really, they're out of the house longer. There's no diapers, there's no bottles, you know, there's no sort of like the emotional complications of teenagehood. I can't say there's, this is probably the best time I could lean into things. They don't need me as much. We're not into like the teenage trouble years. (laughs) So the work is to like build more Um, systems to have sort of like layers of management, other doctors in place that I can have more freedom to be with my family again. So it really was like good timing to take it easy and be back with them a little bit more when I think they'll need me to be more hands-on. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So if we can rewind a little bit, you said you decided to learn, actually you said dentistry was it, it was it for you in Mm. high school. And then you learned about ideas. What ideas? Art to me is about ideas. I only hang original art from artists on the walls. And it's more about like it's artists that I've met, 
they are friends of friends or I meet them at an event or I go to a gallery opening, I meet a different artist and I'm interested in that person and their vision and what they are saying, their commentary. It's, it doesn't have as much to do with what the art looks like. I mean, I like aesthetically pleasing art, certainly. Like, I'm not going to hang anything scary up on the walls of a dental <laughs> practice. We're trying to, and this practice has been built to be very relaxing. Like, I've thought a lot about what people are seeing and hearing and feeling to really create a relaxing environment. So I'm not going to bring art in that kind of doesn't gel with that. But to me, it's about ideas. I think art is very important on the, on the like, pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It exists at the top. Dentistry is... Interesting, because it also can exist at the top. We're helping people with their self-expression, with their confidence. You know, when patients come in to ask me, should I get veneers? I say first is like, Invisalign an option, whitening an option. What can we get you that's a little bit more, you know, conservative? But if veneers is the right option for that patient, and they're asking me, is it worth it? That to me is a very subjective answer. And one of the sort of like goalposts for me is, are you expressing your joy freely? Because life is hard enough. Like if you want to laugh, if you are smiling in a picture with your mom, with your kids, with friends, you know, let it rip, like express your joy. That's really important to me. And that exists at that self-actualization top of the pyramid. But what I love about dentistry is so much of what we do is like under basic needs. I think we'll always have a job. People have teeth. And to be able to do that well, like really take care of people and get them to a healthy place is kind of what I'm foundational on. Is that part of your guys' like marketing message or mission statement? Are you expressing your joy freely? I am. I've, you know, I've changed through the months. We've been open four months now. So it's a Hmm. very, very new practice. And, you know, on your Instagram, it's like, what do you want to put in your bio? And people are like, oh, you got to put things in there that people are going to search for and whatever. And I'm just not, I don't know. I'm not winning the SEO game. I'm not, I'm winning the word of mouth game. (laughs) So The Instagram bio right now is something like guided by wellness, curating a relaxing experience, which is very accurate of what we do. I talk about the oral microbiome. I talk about airway. You know, I talk about sort of the mouth body connection and getting people to a place where they have something really beautiful that is very healthy, that is maintained with hopefully very little intervention. That's the goal. Okay, that's interesting. And then we fast forward a little bit. You talk about the open heart surgery, what you had. That led, now was that, at all anyway because of like high-induced stress or anything like that or no it was just not that I know of I never (laughs) had a heart murmur before I went in for a physical when we were trying for our second child I realized it had been three years between like you know being pregnant having the baby the baby's a year old I'm suddenly like wait I haven't seen my primary care physician and when she listened to my heart she was like this is a very clear murmur and as dentists obviously we know what that's supposed to sound like instead of a love dub it was a (laughs) love swoosh a very clear swoosh And a severe regurgitation, there was essentially a cord that had torn inside of my heart. I have two family members, a first cousin and her daughter who have Marfan syndrome, which is thought to be, it's a connective tissue disorder. It definitely affects the heart. They always end up needing heart valve surgery. My cousins have. And I wonder if there's some sort of maybe like recessive, very minute expression of some of that genetics, but it's Mm -hmm. not well understood. And I've talked to like genetic counselors about it and whatever. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so I go in for this physical, we hear the murmur. She refers me for an echocardiogram. At that time, I knew I was pregnant. I had been like very, very early pregnant for my physical. 
went into this echocardiogram and my, I knew it couldn't be good news because my doctor called me twice at eight in the morning, the following morning. And they're normally yeah. like, your doctor will get in touch with you within the next week with your results. But if they call you on your cell phone twice at 8 a.m., it's not yeah. the best news. So I remember I was feeding my daughter breakfast. I missed the call and I went running to get my cell phone and she immediately called me back. Um, and she had told me like, you really need to see. And I had told her like, oh, now I know that I'm like six weeks pregnant or something. And she was like, you need to see a cardiologist before the end of the week. Again, it was a snowstorm and I was at home, you know, like with my my daughter, I kept her on the days when I wasn't working. And so I had to take her with me and was told like, I'm, I'm going to have to have open heart surgery. So I went through my entire second pregnancy knowing I would have to have this surgery, which is very scary. I think the one thing that I have not recovered from fully emotionally is saying goodbye to my kids potentially because they were so little. My son was eight months old. My daughter was two. They were so young that they wouldn't remember me. And I wanted to make sure that I had imparted something that I would have wanted them to know and learn. And certainly like I can't imagine either of my children on their wedding day not having read something from me. Like if they went into their adulthood thinking my mom knew she was going into this. She knew there was a chance she wouldn't wake up. She didn't leave anything for us. It was such a just like that is torture. That is the worst <laughs> kind of grief. And I don't I still am not over that. The rest of it, I don't really I'm like over it like shit happens and you, you're going to have to bleep that out. <laughs> um, I think that with with the emotional burden of going through this, the fear myself that I might die, it wasn't for me. Like I have lived so much. I've backpacked through Asia for eight months. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I ran marathons. Like I did so many things in my life, like anything that I set out to do met fascinating people, ate amazing meals. There's mm -hmm. nothing that I left unsaid to anyone. Like I was okay. I'm okay with my own mortality as an individual, but to bring children into this world and not be around to help guide them through it, that that's a responsibility I take very seriously. So that was the hardest part of it that, that I'm still recovering from. Andrew, did you leave them like something or no? Or what oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I no. wrote those notes. I had to write those letters. It was very grief inducing interesting yeah okay. and it, it helped me like be a better friend to people going through difficult things like i i can show up for people in a way that people showed up for me i know what support looks like so i think i'm a silver linings person <laughs> i'm always looking for like here's what i got out of that that i'm grateful for and i i'm grateful for the experience like facing your your own mortality like in your 30s and being left for the most part fully intact is is a very powerful lesson. And it's not a lesson you can really get without going through it. So I'm in a way, like I wouldn't wish it to happen again, but I am grateful for it. And so is that what you kind of, um, I guess like not pull out, but like dig down deep? Because you said around the third day or fourth day, you realize that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm lacking empathy or compassion here for the patients, right? Like you're, it's getting shorter. So I guess instead of saying, I'm only going to work three days. You, you continued, right? But now you have that, um, I guess, that reservoir of compassion that you said, right? I actually, it feels, I don't dig deep. It happens without effort now. It used mm. to feel like it took effort. And now it's just our true nature as human beings is to care for one another. And that's just available to me with no effort. Mm -hmm. So that now happens to you. So if I were to ask you like, hey, I get that on the second day. I get that on a Tuesday. Do I have to figure something? What, what, what would you recommend for someone like that on how to like, hey, produce more compassion this way? Um, that's a great question. It's like I said, going through the experiences I've gone through, there's kind of no replacement for 
the teachable moments of such a difficult experience. Mm -hmm. So I haven't really thought about how somebody else might find it. I read a lot of philosophy books. I read a lot of self-development books. Um, Some of the books that have been very impactful for me are Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. I give it away all the time. Um, Another book is Ernest Becker's Denial of Death. And I read that for the first time more than 20 years ago and continue to recommend it to people, reread it. A book I read almost every day, a friend of mine who's an actor gave me The Artist's Way. And again, it's about ideas, about a way of being. So I think figuring out the pulse on like your own authenticity, it won't come easily. I think getting in touch with pure human nature and what that means for you is kind of the work. (laughs) For me, at the bottom of that is just love for people and gratitude for the opportunity to take care of them. So I would say that there's some, there's probably work to be done. I would recommend some books. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the things about Victor, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning that I come back to all the time is it's asking, you know, people are asking, what is the meaning of life? And his answer in sort of like the too long, didn't read version is life is asking you, what are you going to make it mean? So you get to decide. Yeah. How are you going to do that? Okay, interesting. So then that kind of leads me to, if we fast forward a little bit more, in here you said you were working, right? While you were your first child, then you mm-hmm. had to, were you working as an associate? I was working as an associate. I took six months off. I took eight months off, actually, um, in that position. This is at Bank Group Practice in Manhattan. Um, and the owner of the practice is this really lovely man. However, he hadn't had so many female associates and I think the one that was already there, her kids were a little older. And so, you know, he he brought me in his office and he was like, listen, I know that you're expecting a baby. I hope that you don't plan to take off more than three months. It's really not going to work if you take off more than that. It's like a continuity of care issue. Your patients start to sort of like leave you and your practice and go to other doctors. And, you know, I said to him, I was like, honestly, like motherhood is the most important job that I'll have as a human being. And if me leaving is disruptive to your business, I completely understand. Please move on. And if there's still a position for me, I'll be in touch when I'm ready. If not, I totally understand. You have to do what's right for your business. And he just kind of looked at me and like blinked a few times. And he was like, come back when you're ready. And because I was the most profitable as I was in that practice. It is, you know, I sort of have like had this narrative a bit that feminism has let me down. Like you have to be so good. Like I have to know I'm the best. I'm making them a lot of money to be able to ask for this like very basic thing of like bringing new humans into the world. Like we got to repopulate the earth somehow. <laughs> and so like yeah. smart, nice people should be having babies. So one of the things I'm like a huge advocate for is with my team, with, you know, I mentor students, like, what does it look like to have a family and and to sort of like hope for a better future for our children? Okay, interesting. So then why? How did you become the most profitable associate in that practice? I went out of residency knowing I wanted to be the best dentist I could be. And I took, at that time, Frank Spear was one of the best. It was like him and Kois. And I'm starting <laughs> all of the Kois. i signed up for the first four classes. I take my first COIS class in September. So I've always leaned into like whatever the best CE is. And at that time, Frank Spear was a great series. I went out to Scottsdale, Arizona five times to complete their hands-on courses in the first two years, basically out of residency. So it wasn't that I was doing full mouth rehabilitation off the bat. It's like I can talk about 
why a night guard would be beneficial, you know, at a time when maybe other dentists have talked about it and talking to them about how it's designed, how we are getting the muscles to just sort of disengage, why, you know, the cracking is happening of the molars and people start to understand and they start to believe in what we're able to offer as comprehensive dentists. It can look as simple as like knowing why my two anterior crowns aren't going to break because I know what an envelope of function is or why my number 15 crown fits because I didn't lose the space. It's the first point of contact in CR. Like I knew all of the foundational things of occlusion, of function, aesthetic, airway, so TMJ, so that I could do even that single tooth dentistry in a way that would be reliable. So I think patients understood that I knew what I was talking about and had trust in me because I can say it confidently. I believe in it. I have never tried to sell anyone anything. I'm truly taking a stand for what's right and what's good and meeting the patient at wherever their values are, wherever their finances are. So that's, it becomes apparent. I mean, that's one of the good things about dentistry is like remaining authentic and investing in your skill set will only yield returns. Mm. So then break it down to me. How would you, I guess, talk to a patient who's, oh, I got to talk, talk it over with my husband, or I got to talk it over with my wife, or I have to see something else, right? Obviously, I feel like you're the type of person who'd be like, yeah, go ahead and talk it over, right? Like, do, do what you got to do. Yeah. But then I feel like we also get the flip side, too, where it's like, hey, no, you got to make sure you you sell that. Get a closing, get something, right? I don't do that. So then what's the, how do we, <laughs> talk to me about your way then. How how can we learn your way where it's like, hey, they don't feel pressured. It's a pressured. long game. It's uh-huh. a long, it's playing the long game. It's, you know, people don't like being sold to. They know when they're being sold to. And being a fee-for-service startup practice in the heart of Manhattan that looks the way it looks, they attract a certain kind of clientele. They're very savvy. They have money. If they want to spend it, they'll spend it. You pushing them is not going to help anything. So it's actually going to turn them away. It's people who are sold to all the time, people who are asked for their money for a variety of causes. Like, I think everyone doesn't like that. They don't want to like, they don't want to feel like they're at a, you know, used car sales lot or this is their health. So if you, I, if I really believe that what I'm doing is the best for them and that comes across because I believe fully, I'm like, I have full transparency that's fine. I had a consultation with a patient today that was referred to me by a periodontist who ended up saying, well, I actually want to go with this oral surgeon. You know, and I was talking to her about a little, I place implants. We have PRP here. I was like, we also do this. And then I can print something same day, print a Maryland bridge for her out of resin. So that's a really great temporary restorative option for me to be able to print, control that whole process in the office. I went over it with her and I said, I understand that your surgeon has placed this implant for you in the past elsewhere. I'm happy to collaborate with him. It does, you know, whatever I can do to take care of you, that's it. I'd love to get an intraoral scan in case he needs something from me. Here's why I think a bonded Maryland bridge is better over an extraction site, an immediate implant than a valplast denture. And I'm here for you, you know? And she, mm-hmm. as she was leaving, she's like, can I give you the surgeon's cell phone number? Do you mind talking to him? Like, I, I'd love to figure this out. And I'm like, sure. Like, I don't, maybe she'll come back. Maybe she won't. It's not about what's happening today, closing today. Some of my patients, I talked to them about Invisalign. They come back three years later, they're doing their Invisalign. Meanwhile, they're sending you more patients. They're continuing with their treatment plans. They're continuing with their recall appointments. So to, to not push the sale, like we have some things that we do where if that patient leaves and say, I need to talk to my husband about it, we're going to email them the payment link for their treatment plan. They can pay their five, six, $11,000. Here's the link to Cherry if you want to finance it out. It's available to them. We make it very easy, but there's no like, if you do it now, I'll give you 5% off. I don't like mm. that stuff. Like 
I don't want patients making a big decision feeling pressured. Yeah, of a percentage. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Are you still working at the associate chip or no? No, I, I pretty much like went off on my own kind of immediately. Ah, okay, interesting. So then from that associateship, were there any systems that you were like, oh, I love what they're doing here. I'm going to take this into my practice, maybe add my spin on it. And were there any systems where you're like, I hate this. This is all wrong right here, what you're doing. Yeah, one of the practices was amazing. Dr. Michael Wynn, he owns Queensboro Plaza Dental Care. I was in his office. He has done SPEAR. He trained in a period program for a while, um, taught at the implant program at NYU. An amazing, amazing dentist. He uses the SPEAR videos for sort of like patient education, for post-op instruction. The patients automatically get a visit summary. They get post-op video emailed to them. So there's no sort of like questions that they're like thinking, what, what, you know, what was that? And it's a great like video sort of image of it. He had a lot of really great systems in place that I have started to incorporate in my practice. And the other practice I was in, Dr. Alina Lane, All Smells Dentistry, she did sort of these like airway consultations and was a great Invisalign dentist. There's a lot of things that she's done that I've incorporated into the practice. And I've been really fortunate to find um, good mentors. So I try to pass that on. There's a saying that's uh, if, you, if you're going somewhere, make sure you take other people with you. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. So and they can t- both of those individuals have continued to be very sort of generous with their time. If my patients come looking for me, they give them my information. Those patients come to me here. So it's been a very, I have a very collaborative experience with the other doctors before you ask some of the things I wouldn't do. I think, you know, they're, they are both in network offices and being in network leads you to have a high volume hygiene program. And mm-hmm. instead of being, I'm not so interested in having like a busy practice. Sometimes I think there can be comfort in seeing volume just like visually for doctors I'm a numbers person. Like I have a lot of metrics. My marketing agency tracks ROI on marketing spending. Anything we do in office, we have spreadsheets for ROI. Like I, I'm very into metrics. So the use of time and in, in network practice in these hygiene departments to me makes no sense. It seems like a loss leader for many people. And I'm not in the business of doing dentistry for free. So yeah. that would be something that is very different in my practice. Okay. Cause I was going to ask you like, what type of practice do you have? But it's fee-for-service general, right? It's fee-for-service general. And I've done a lot of CE. So we're doing some things that might be considered a little advanced. Like what? I work with ENTs, sleep doctors, pulmonologists to make mandibular advancement devices to treat sleep apnea. These are patients who either wouldn't qualify for sleep pap because their sleep apnea is quite mild or they are just not compliant. They've gone through all the various options and make it very clear to those patients, listen, this is the gold standard for you, but I'd much rather you wear a mandibular advancement device every night than wear your CPAP half the time or less. A lot of mm-hmm. patients wear it even less. So that's something that I got even more interested in as a cardiac patient myself. The risk of myocardial infarction is increased by a factor of eight, something like that. And patients who have sleep apnea, it's a very, very stressful for the body. We see bruxism all the time. We're making these night guards and that's like a band-aid on what's happening. You know, it's going to protect the teeth from breaking, but it's like, well, why is it happening? Like the body's really stressed out and it's coming up in ways that we can see visually. But if I'm looking back into someone's airway and it's a crowded airway and they have hypertension and they're grinding their teeth, you know, I'm going to ask those questions. So certainly that we started to incorporate airway into the practice is something that's been quite meaningful for me. 
Um, I talk about the link between oral health and systemic health, but mm-hmm. most recently in the last couple of weeks, one of my patients, her gut health has deteriorated drastically in the last six months or so. She has IBS. She's known as weight gain. Her periodontal disease has come to the point where she has one hopeless tooth that has to be extracted. And this is someone who had been going to the dentist every four months, three months, four months, quite religiously. So, you know, she had no idea that there was a link between periodontal disease and gut issues. Another Mm -hmm. patient has rheumatoid arthritis, was overdue for her cleaning by quite a bit, had some like deeper probing depths, bleeding gums. What the inside of your mouth looks like can be what your gut looks like. It's the same tube. So a lot of people come in and they've been going to dentists every six months and they're like, no one ever told me this. And just today we delivered periotrace for a patient who had juvenile periodontitis and we're maintaining six millimeter probing depths. Um, you know, and I'm talking to this patient about how we get hydrogen peroxide at the bottom of these probing depths and it kills the bad bacteria and promotes more of the good bacteria to grow. So it's like 15 minutes when you're in the shower, when you're getting ready, wear these trays every morning and let's try and maintain things. So these are all things that, and there's a lot more that we do that's a little bit sort of more than maybe like a normal general dental practice. I myself like surgery. I have a CBCT. I like placing implants. I like grafting bone. I did aesthetic crown lengthening by myself on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody had altered passive eruption. She had four crowns on her front teeth. One of them has failed. So I'm saying to her, if we're replacing this anyway, let's lift up the tissue, get that bone back to the level that it's supposed to be. The bone was at the level of the enamel, and we really need about three millimeters of space to mm-hmm. show all the enamel in her mouth. So that's looking really great. You know, I texted her that night, texted her the following morning. She's like, the the swelling is minimal. The Pain has been minimal. I had a little bit of bleeding when I brushed. I've been eating normally. Like I I love surgery. I think part of it is, is something that's really hard for patients to get through. And I can get them through difficult things fairly well. I think that's one of my skill sets. We plumb the practice with nitrous oxide. It's like, again, all about like, how can we curate a relaxing experience given that these are hard things that we're doing? I am in touch with a couple of doctors that do sedation. So that's on the table for some of our patients that are a little bit more phobic. So I share all this to say when I say that we do things that are a little bit more than maybe a regular general dental practice, this is what I'm talking about. You do a lot. I do. It's things, yeah, it's just like where my own curiosity has led me to. And I I love my specialists. We need our specialists. You will never find me doing endo. Like, thank God for endodontists. (laughs) Thank God for pediatric dentists. I joke that every kid I've seen has been against my will. My friends are like, you got to see the family. And I'm like, fine. It's They're great kids. I love them. But thank you, pediatric dentists, for what you <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for what you guys do. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, interesting. So then it's very specific, some of the, the procedures. So let me ask, what does your marketing and advertising look like? Like, what are you doing and how are these patients finding you besides referrals? Um, yeah, nothing. Absolutely nothing right now. <laughs> We're going to start doing more. Having been a dentist in the city for over a decade, I had a following and I'm very plugged into my community. I volunteer a lot. I am very involved at our preschool and at our ongoing K through 12 school. So I know a lot of parents, they've become my good friends in the ways in which I've supported other people's small businesses. They've supported mine. Um, I had an open house for all my family and friends early on. I hired a bartender and a doorman and a coat check girl. And we bought like cases of Vu champagne and we just made it nice. And it was like, you know, here's what's going on here. I don't expect anyone to change their existing dentist, but people, some people did. Other people referred other patients to me. 
So it's been word of mouth. We do make an effort to collect Google reviews. I think as of today, we have 51 five-star reviews. So we're, we're making that effort. And I'm, I'll keep like, people don't know unless you make an effort to put yourself out there. So what that looks like for me is someone makes a recommendation. They're going to say, what does their Instagram looks like, look like? What are their reviews like? What is their website like? Like all that needs to be in order. Um, what I'm working on now is like more of like thought leadership where we have either, I mean, talking on a podcast is, I know that we met because Ruben of Dark Horse was sort of sent you my way, but kind of getting out there more and talking about some of these ideas that I have, um, mentoring students, if somebody needs a quote in a, in a magazine about dentistry, like going about being that person that talks about that. So becoming a quote thought leader, <laughs> mm-hmm. it puts you in a certain like strata of like, okay, you're a fee-for-service doctor. You do these things that other dentists don't do. Who are you to say that this is necessary? You kind of have to build a case for yourself. So right now the work is of, we've been sort of word of mouth. Another open house I, event I had was with all of my professional network, doctors, dentists, specialists. That was, I think, like 70 people. And a lot of my best referrals have been from other doctors and endodontists that I've become very good friends with who, when she has a patient that's unattached to a general dentist, always sends that patient my way. They become my comprehensive patients and stay on. You know, the periodontist that referred a patient on to me who is now going to go elsewhere. Again, another unattached patient. So just in like my orthodontist friends, their patients will wander in off the street or another referral and they need dental clearance. Um, we've created now these like gift baskets and referral pads. I'm going to be talking to, we're starting like a ground marketing campaign, introducing ourselves to the buildings next to us, the businesses in those buildings, doctors in the area with a referral pad for surgical clearance. So orthopedic doctors, cardiovascular doctors, anybody that we can think of, like those patients need clearance. Here's a really easy way for you to get them to us. We'll make it affordable. And those patients are going to need ongoing care. So those are some of the ideas that we've had moving forward. <laughs> but mm-hmm. up until now, and we've broken even since month one, it's oh, been wow. word of mouth. Yeah. And word of mouth is great. Um, I was telling my patient this morning that patients who find me randomly or while wonderful are kind of like, what's going on here? Like, no one does this stuff. A practice doesn't look like this. And mm-hmm. I'm like, the vibe's the vibe, you know? So like when yeah, someone yeah. finds you your word of mouth, it's like, they get the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's the cheapest form of marketing and it's the most powerful form of marketing. So we, I mean, we'll ask patients, like, tell your friends. And I kind of don't have to say it. Like, we make it memorable enough that they tell people, you know, I, I've always, like, given my cell phone number to patients on surgical post-ops. It's typed out at the bottom of the page. Here's my cell phone number. Literally every single patient has the ability to text me at any time. I spent the Super Bowl taking care of a patient with dry socket, like my longtime patient. And luckily, I don't care about football, so it's fine. And I... <laughs> And I live on this block. I, I walked over in my sweatpants. It was great. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> but the nice. level of service, like, you know, that gives me peace of mind. Like, that's what makes me feel like I did a good job. And it's not for everyone. Not everyone <laughs> wants a cheaper service practice. They don't want to handhold this way. They don't want to be, you know, getting text messages at 10 p.m. To me, I like doing that. I like yeah. knowing someone's been taken care of to that degree. So would you say... For anyone who wants to, because they, I've, I've heard this where they're like, hey, accept insurance at the beginning and then drop it so you can be fee for service. But for people who do want to be fee for service from the get go, would you say it takes this type of level of compassion and commitment where it's like 24 hours, but whenever kind of thing, you got to be on and you got to be compassionate about it. I mean, 
I have excellent personal boundaries, I will say. Right now we work three and a half days a week. I have my schedule worked around when we have like the parent visits at school every Wednesday morning. I am home in time. Hopefully I'll start making dinner again. But like the goal is every morning school drop off, every evening dinner as a family and working three and a half days a week. So I actually maintain very good personal boundaries. It's not that hard to me to respond to a text message and just give someone peace of mind. It's very, very rare that someone is, that's like the first time ever that I've come in on a weekend for an emergency. Usually people are kind of like, you know, I can wait until Monday morning. I can this, I can that. We have a home in the country. I'm not here sometimes. We just happen to be back for the Super Bowl. My husband was going to watch it in the city. So, you know, it is what it is. Like if I have a patient that I can't see personally, I have a network of doctors. I've always been very collegial that I could call one of my colleagues and say, I'm so sorry, do you mind seeing this patient? Just like I had one of my dental school classmates, um, Susan Prater. She's in Florida. She said, hey, you know, do you mind seeing my patient for a suture removal? Like no one else is going to do this for him. So having that collegial relationship has been helpful to sort of like not have to be on 24-7. As far as like this level of compassion, service, excellence, networking, this is Manhattan. Like to do a startup fee-for-service practice in New York City, you really have to have, in my opinion, a following, a reputation, something that you like, some core thing that you can rely on because it's a saturated market. You know, I think it's it's a little hard to understand the true sort of like ratio because so many people travel in for work, but in parts of Midtown, the ratio is one to 250. <laughs> and yeah. like best case scenario is like one to 900 in some of the neighborhoods. So it's like, well, all my patients are coming from other doctors. What makes me better? I'm not open evenings. I'm not open weekends. The fees are the fees. What makes me good enough to say, you're going to do that. And some of my patients will come in like, oh, but are you open here on Saturday? Or are you here on an evening? And I'm like, I'm really not. I'm with my family. Totally understand if it's not the right fit. And, and they, they're like, you know what? I'll move around my day to keep coming. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then I know you, when we were talking about the marketing, you talked about, are you working with the marketing agency right now or no? Yeah, Wondrous. So Wondrous Agency, part of what I loved about them, first and foremost, in a saturated market, I think that they're I for design, their branding is really beautiful. I drew my logo in Canva, but they, this is like a simplified embroiderable version of it. It's <laughs> a little bit more complex than this, but I came up with a version of it in Canva. They really cleaned it up for me. I told them like what I wanted the vibe to be like this, like elevated New York City. And they put together a really beautiful brand package. Um, I love our colors. The colors informed the interior design of the practice. People compliment sort of like the visuals quite a bit. And then the other thing that I really love about Wondrous is they have, I don't know if they still call it the funnels, but if they, we haven't done any marketing yet, we're going to maybe eventually start, I guess, when <laughs> I don't really need to, yeah. but <laughs> right now, but we will. If you spend X amount of dollars on Google ads, it's tracking each patient. The numbers are tracked. You can see they're like in open dental, the software is integrated so that what we've done on that patient is apparent. So you know the ROI, $500 of Google AdWords yielded $12,000 of treatment, whatever that is. Like, again, I'm really into metrics partly because I'm a very intuitive person. I'm not analytical and I know that about myself. So mm -hmm. I work with wonders for these marketing metrics. I work with, 
you know, my operations manager for ROI of the things that we do in office, clinical and marketing, like the ground marketing baskets. She just put a sheet of paper in front of me. Each of the doctor baskets cost $48.60. Each of the small business baskets cost $20.19. Interesting. (laughs) I need, but other people do this for me. I work with HDA, which does like accounting. And they're bookkeepers. They're a team of, you know, dozens of accountants out in Ohio working with hundreds of dentists around the country. And um, I was just talking to um, my Henry Shine rep, Alan Whithall, about integrating my Shine ordering with Method, which is part of the Unified Smiles, which um, is an ordering platform. And again, it's like tracking how much we're spending. It gives us the historical spending. It gives us the pricing for a multitude of vendors. And I let them know, like, you know, I'm really trying to dial in overhead and making sure that we're looking at ROI properly. And I'm not good at this. So we're going to be using method. And Alan luckily has experience with it through Tend. He outfitted all the Tend offices in the city. Mm. He used to use method. I was introduced to Unified Smiles and Method, it's included with Ideal Practices Mastery. So mm-hmm. uh, my startup consultants were Ideal Practices. Um, I met them through Rob Montgomery, my attorney. So again, when I had introduced myself to him, this is the first thing you have to do. You have to come up with your legal entity because your legal entity is going to sign your lease and then you can do everything else. So I sent him, Rob, the agreement with Breakaway. And I'm a big believer in paying for advice. If you can pay someone for their expertise and their brain, you're just multiplying your own talents, your own knowledge. So mm-hmm. I, I've had executive coaches. I have weekly therapy. I am always paying other people for their help, for their advice, for their support. So I had said to Rob, here's the breakaway agreement. I never signed a contract ever without an attorney looking at it, including my first job right out of dental school. It's one of the things I tell every dentist that's graduating. I know it's hard. We, we all don't have a lot of money, wait tables, do whatever you have to do, but pay a lawyer to look at that contract. Yeah. You can make some really expensive, life-altering mistakes signing a bad contract. So I send Rob this very simple thing. I'm like, I'm sure there are no notes. It's a single page, but I'm never going to sign anything without someone looking at it. So he had said, you know, Arthi, having spoken with you, I think you should talk to Ideal Practices. They have all their doctors choose a vision of how they want to give back. All of their doctors pick some way to give back. And because that was something that I was already doing, he's like, I think they're going to speak your language more. And they did. And I think Scott Loon is a genius. Breakaway is a genius. That ideal practices already had built in this language of what it means to have an impact and to give back meaningfully. Mm-hmm. Made me decide to work with them. My consultant there is Elizabeth Muldrig. She's great. We're like besties. We're going to be in Charleston um, yeah. first week in March. So I'm going to see them all soon for our Mastery Summit. And we're on our little Facebook group. And, you know, some of the Facebook groups can be a little bit toxic. And I've talked to Ruben about this. It's like the people that are on there who have time to post, some of them obviously are so generous with their time. They're so amazing. Best case scenario, oftentimes with some of the comments are, it's one person who's done it one time. And this is something Jamie Amos, who is behind Ideal Practices, he used to be there, would say, you don't really want advice from the peanut gallery. You want advice from the person who's done it 500 times, 800 times, 2,000 times. Like, let's talk to the person who's done it a bunch and knows how to do it well. So that's sort of my MO. I'm not asking so many individuals for advice. I, I pay people for really great advice. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. I like that. So then with the companies you mentioned, what's been some of the best companies you've worked with and some of the ones that didn't work with you well, or they were just the worst companies to you? That's a good question. And we did talk about this because I had asked you, um, you know, what do your listeners want to hear? Like what is meaningful for them to hear about? And I know that's something that people want to hear. I don't have a great answer for what companies 
didn't work for me. I think part of why is ideal practices as vetted companies. So they're giving me three IT companies. I'm talking yeah. to all three IT companies and I have now a personal relationship. Like Ruben and I have a call every month or two where we just chit chat and I'm asking him about business. Like he has a huge business. So yeah. our course is quite a machine and he's read a lot of management books and we text and like I sent him my sweatshirts and he sent me their water bottles. And yeah. um, I've become friendly with Laura Malley and Michael who are at Wondrist. And again, like have a texting relationship. I'm meeting them in Charleston. They're going to be there at our mastery summit. And we're going to go and have some rooftop drinks before we see everyone else. And <laughs> so I really can't say that there was a vendor that I did not like. Ideal set me up with great people. I got to pick the best of great people. They help manage the relationships to make sure the relationships are successful. And I really only work with people that I end up having kind of this personal connection with. So having said all that, you asked me who I worked with. I started with Ron Montgomery for my, um, all my like dental legal work. I worked with Reed Risley, who's part of like practice real estate group. And he helped me find my space, made made sure the letter of intent was keyed in so we're not wasting a ton of money. New York City landlords being what they are, still spent $20,000 negotiating the lease. (laughs) Yeah. So, And again, like one day, $20,000 won't be a lot. But when you're building a business, it is a lot of money. Um, My bank was Citizens. At that time, Ideal Practices had just closed a loan with Citizens Bank. And they don't have a healthcare product anymore, but I talked to Bank of America, Wells Fargo, talked to a few other people. I think now um, Huntington's was really great to talk to as well. Danny Camarasano has left Huntington's and is now, I think it's called Provide. And I've set up a few of my colleagues with Provide. They're willing to lend a million dollars or more often to existing practices. So there are better products out there, unfortunately, than like Bank of America and stuff. Like Bank of America wants to give you $500,000 if you're in the heart of Manhattan or you're out in Kentucky. It doesn't matter. Like a dental practice is supposed to cost X amount of dollars and that's it. I ended up borrowing $750,000. Luckily, Ideal had just closed a loan with citizens. They were kind of like, let's repackage this for a new doctor, you know, has mm-hmm. experience, has some like liquid assets saved. I've been a dentist for 15 years now. So I, yeah. I was a good candidate for that kind of borrowing. And I built a five operatory practice. I didn't want to be in a position where a lot of startup practices are three, four ops. Like to have two doctors and two hygienists, you really need five chairs. You need one overflow chair. So the goal is to have this be the right amount of space for at least five years, maybe 10. Even in the the thing that really dragged out the lease negotiation was being it like the exit strategy. If I were to outgrow this space, then what would it take? The landlord wanted somebody with a million dollars of liquid assets. And I'm like, a young dentist is not going to have a million dollars of cash to sign. Uh-huh. I don't have that. I don't know why you think the next person's supposed to have that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, mm-hmm. it was um, interesting. So Reed Risley was great. I, great guy. Rob Montgomery has been amazing. After that, it was working with ideal practices that Rob Montgomery put me in touch with. They charge, you know, it's close to $60,000, but I've seen $100,000 mistakes. So to me, it's like the peace of mind, the advice. Again, I'm really willing to pay people for their advice. And I've been asked for a lot of advice. And Avi, who Dr. Avi was, who was on your podcast not too long ago, had said, you know, have you thought about starting a coaching business? And I'm like, you know, I might. Like, I've paid a lot for my advice. And if people keep asking me for advice, like at the end of the day, your advice is worth something. So anyway, that was, I. he's great, by the way. Avi's really interesting. He's doing Patel? something down the street. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so 
Ideal Practices has been great. They hold your hand through the whole thing. Having that peace of mind, like, here's what's going on. Is this okay? Before we signed the lease, Mike Garib with Ideal Practices flew out here, looked at the space, said, we absolutely need to push back on having access from below. And I had to open up the ceilings of the vacant space below me to plumb for nitrous, plumb for, you know, our med gas and our vacuum and all of that. Chose the spot in the basement where all of the mechanicals would go. So it's for Ideal to send a human being here to look at it and say, no, we're pushing back on this part of the lease, you, or otherwise you're going to have to raise your floors. Like, I wouldn't have known that. Like, who's going to tell me that? So mm-hmm. they also need to, like, bring in the contractors to bid out the space before I sign the lease. The contractor I ended up working with, Pat Black Precision, amazing, amazing guy, super, super busy in Manhattan. I've had, he's helping a friend of mine with her space at Block South. I mean, again, in terms of being collegial, we're like, we can see each other's emergencies. I'm so glad yeah. you're here. We can, like, meet for coffee or grab lunch and um, he's a really wonderful guy. I was kind of like, had this vision for a practice and he's like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we, yeah. Every step of the way we figured it out. You know, I was like, I don't want any direct lighting. And he was like, okay, what does that mean? Like he still made me get can lights and all the operatories, but I'm like, I don't want a patient leaning back looking at can lights. All the light washes walls and ceilings. There's two switches. They're both on dimmers, but he's like, you need the can lights. And I do use the can lights for shade selection. So I'm glad he made me get them. But um, all the all my zany ideas he had to execute on, which I'm, I'm grateful for. IT, Dark Horse, they've been great. Again, whatever my zany ideas have been, that there's a screen at the foot of the patient, a screen on the ceiling, two screens in the back, that I'm taking intro roll photos, that I want the camera to automatically upload pictures, that my SLR camera to upload pictures to the screen in front of the patient. Like, Anything that I come up with and they just, they've helped me figure it out. So that's been really great. Yeah. Uh, with Dark Horse really quick, do you, how much is it? Like, did you get the whole package or like, what does the package even look I like? Did. I did. I mean, they outfitted the whole practice and I wish I could tell you, I think I paid them $750 a month right now to manage everything. So my, our cloud backup is with them. Our security sort of like, you know, ransomware security things are with them. They make sure that we're HIPAA compliant at all times. All the computers are updated. They manage our email system. Our email is all encrypted, HIPAA compliant. So I'm very, I work with people who make sure that we are following all the rules. So like all of us are HIPAA OSHA certified through smart training. All of my team is onboarded through HR for Health, following local, state, federal guidelines. So Dark Horse is in here just like making sure that we're good. <laughs> it's yeah. worth it to me. Um, and again, like if I'm ever integrating anything, they're here to just like help figure it out, whatever it is. Why'd you go? Because you said Ideal Practice gave you three options. Why'd you go with Dark Horse compared to the other? I mean, I couldn't even tell you who I who else I was introduced to before, but there was, I think, a company here, Dental High Tech. Great. A lot of people are happy with them. Dark Horse has, they're like, slick like they're you know their product is like it's put together like you can visualize it there's a process in place you talk to this person they pass you on to this person like I like systems I like visuals I like organization I actually don't know how I met Ruben it might have been through Instagram like I tagged them and he commented and I was like by the way who is this and it's like the actual CEO of the company because obviously like that's often what it is but but the deciding factor for you was mainly that you were able to talk to the CEO or? No, no. I met Ruben way after they had even mm-hmm. like come in. So that ends up being, for some reason, the way that things work out for me. I don't even know how I became close to Laura, but Laura also introduced me to the founder of Coco Floss, Crystal, who is amazing. So she, Crystal, stopped by the practice when she was visiting New York City with her family, like her kids and husband came over to the practice. 
before we were open, very much still a construction site. I told Pat, like, you know, this person who's like the founder of Coco Floss, which I don't, I know you don't know what it is, but it's like a big deal to me. <laughs> it's going to come visit. Can we just like clean it up? And I mean, when I say it was a construction site, it was a mess and they just made it all like perfectly presentable, even though there's like walls that need to be finished. Yeah. So Laura had introduced me to her. Again, I don't know how I connected with Laura so much, but I feel like these are people who have um, sort of a similar energy to me and I enjoy Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is throughout this whole process, I guess from the moment you decided to open your practice to right now, what's been some of your biggest struggles or fails or pitfalls? Oh, so many. That's a great question. <laughs> Negotiating the lease was difficult. I did get to know my landlord personally and also have a trusting relationship with him. And mm-hmm. that really helped sort of solve some of the future pitfalls that could have happened. I think a big piece of advice would be get straight to the decision maker ASAP, make yourself likable, but really hold your ground. Um, Mm -hmm. The other piece of advice is I talked to an IP attorney before I settled on my name. And he had said to me, flat iron dental is a generic term. Flat iron geographic, dental descriptive for what you do. You can't trademark it. Other people can use a very similar name. You can't stop them. And I'm like, you know, I don't care. People come here to see me. But I've been waging now this um, trademark battle for a while. Another practice opened with a very similar name, sent me a cease and desist. I call their practice to say, you know, let's have a conversation. Like, clearly something's happening. Maybe your patients are getting confused. If there's something that I can put into my messaging, onto my Google page or your Google, like, let's talk about it. And um, the doctor did not come to the phone, told the receptionist to talk to his attorney. And I was like, okay, you know, I just, coming from the South, like, Georgian dentists are old school. Like we, those connections run deep. And New York yeah. City is kind of a different place. So that's fine. I have an amazing IT attorney, Jacqueline Einan. Um, We had to fight this claim for a trademark with the U.S. Patent Office. Then they threatened civil litigation. So my litigator is <laughs> Laura. Yeah. So Offit Kerman is the, is this, and she like teaches um, IP at Fordham Law. She's the head of her IP program. So again, if I, if I have a fight to fight, I'm going to hire the biggest guns and ask the best out there for their advice. So it's it's come back up. They, you know, filed for a supplemental trademark. In five years, they can elect to a principal trademark. And I will have to, again, make a case for why that shouldn't be allowed. From my perspective, I had this name first. They opened first. I had a lot of delays in starting construction. The building was got renovated, going through change of use with the landlord. I'm not... I have this sort of abundance mindset, I think, but a lot of people are coming from scarcity and from fear. And so the door on sort of a collaborative conversation with that group of people has closed for me. I think there was a lot of sort of bullying tactics of sending those certified letters to my associate job, a lawyer calling my associate practice, telling the office manager, there's litigation against me. I need to come to the phone. And luckily that practice knew I was opening a practice were very supportive, didn't think that I was a terrible person, but it could have gone a very different way. So again, you cannot have enough real advice, I think. (laughs) Don't try to do these things yourself and hire good people. They hired someone that did not know what they were doing, which is also extremely costly. Sometimes people who don't know what they're doing can cost you a lot of money because you have to keep responding to them. Mm -hmm. Even though at the end of the day, 
they're, they lost, they're going to lose again. It's like such a futile battle. So that's been some of the pitfalls um, in the practice. Like I've had an executive coach for many years and the core values of the practice that I sort of zeroed in on are compassion, integrity, excellence. And so even in those moments, I try to extend compassion to this group of doctors that feels very litigious. I have compassion for people who are coming from a place of fear. But at the end of the day, like integrity matters a great deal to me and I'm going to stand by what's right. So <laughs> remaining true to those to those core values, what it looks like in the practice in measurable terms. We talk about it as a team, what it means to treat people compassionately, to pursue excellence, to have integrity. Like remaining true to that is also quite a challenge. It's ongoing work, like daily work. Nice. Awesome, Arati. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. My I feel like pleasure. we can keep going. But before that, if anybody wants to reach out to you or has any questions or concerns, where can they find you? I am probably the easiest found on Instagram. Flattering Dental is the handle. And I check my messages. I'm happy to talk to anyone before I start my coaching business. <laughs> <laughs> After that, I don't know. Yeah. No, but awesome. So that's that's going to be in the show notes below. So look for her name and then go to the show notes below and check out those links. And Arti, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And Arati, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. If you want to reach out to her, feel free to do so. You can go in the show notes below, look for her name and click on her link. And at the same time, what we're doing is we're also putting in the show notes a lot of the companies that our guests mentioned. So for example, Arati mentioned a couple of the companies and people she used throughout her process like Rob Montgomery, Practice Real Estate Group, uh, Dark Horse Tech, right? Uh, Wonderist and so forth. So if you want, and even other, other stuff that she didn't mention, but she just decided to email us, you can check that out in the show notes below. So definitely go check that out. And at the same time, don't forget if you are interested and you're struggling with any IT services or you need a new IT company, go in the show notes below. Check out the exclusive offer that Ruben Camp, the owner of Dark Horse Tech, is giving you. He's giving it to you. It's an exclusive offer. Go in the show notes below. Click the first link in the show notes below to check it out. And at the same time, you'd be supporting the podcast a lot by doing that. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.